To the point, listeners, I am incredibly excited to bring to you Jim Abrams. And if some of you never heard that name before, Google it. Just type in Jim Abrams HVAC, check him out. This guy is the official goat in the HVAC plumbing world. The very first guy to ever consolidate. It was an honor for me to be able to interview him on this upcoming podcast. He's been in hiding from the home services industry since like 2016, 17. So I'm excited to share this with you. Also, incredibly excited again to share the Elevate Conference that I'm speaking at on August 18th in Nashville. This is actually at Jimmy Hiller's shop. Jimmy will also be participating along with Terry Nicholson from Praxis S10. We're excited. It's small. Uh, you want to sign up right away so you can get a seat. Not many seats available. And you can go to contractorstrong.com forward slash elevate or reach out to my team and they'll hook you up. Enjoy this episode with my man, the GOAT, Mr. Jim Abrams. This is To The Point. A rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. To the point, listeners, do we have a treat for you? This episode is going to be insane. You're going to get a great history lesson in the world of HVAC, plumbing, and electrical because our guest today is the founder of Clockwork Home Services, which is your one hour. It's Ben Franklin's and Mr. Sparky's, which was back in 1998, also, which was then acquired by Direct Energy. In 2010 for 183, 183 million. Is that right, Jim? 183 yeah. million. And yeah. then it acquired again by Authority Brands back in 2019. Also the co-founder of Contractor Success Group in 1990 with our friend uh, and former podcast guest, Mr. Terry Nicholson, which was his episode was 88 and 92. And he spoke at Rhino X. And then he helped build the largest Weight Watchers franchise. And you were even a customer. That's like the best case case study you got, right? It makes you a great salesman. <laughs> But wait, there's more. This man is considered an HVAC industry icon, the official GO Multiple Entrepreneur of the Year Awards, even though he says he's an accidental entrepreneur. (laughs) The greatest residential service contractor in the world, the father of HVAC success, the franchise emperor, the prophet of profits, the Pied Piper of plumbers, HVAC techs and electricians, the Dale Carnegie of HVAC success and king of replacements. This man has shared wisdom to help contractors rise out of struggles, failures, depression, overcome hurdles, and become multi-millionaires over his long four-plus decades in the industry. He coined the phrase home services, the most influential man in HVAC residential contracting history. Please welcome to the show the HVAC OG himself, Mr. Jim Abrams. Well, thank you. That's quite an introduction. <laughs> How did I do? That's great. <laughs> Your face got a little red. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm old now, so that happened. Hey, you earned it. That was so much fun. I had so much fun writing that out. That was, I was like, it was everything that I hoped it would be. So hopefully it made you feel good. You deserve that. So I'm grateful that you're on here, Jim. Thank you. So um, now you, we just came off 4th of, of July weekend. I was just telling you, I was up in Colorado. Um, did you guys have a good 4th of July weekend, you and the family? What did you guys do? Did you, were you down in South Florida? Yeah, we can legally shoot off fireworks here. And my wife's a pyromaniac. <laughs> so we had a number of our grandchildren and children out at uh, a beach uh, uh, resort that we own. And 
uh, shot off fireworks there that night and had a great, great lunch, barbecue out, and everything. So out over the water? Yeah, shot it out <laughs> off the beach over the water. Yeah, those are so cool. Now, your dad uh, served in World War II, right? He's a veteran. Correct. Very cool. Well, um, I want to just mention something to all of our listeners because, again, I really hope that you're paying attention. You have a pen and paper. You have whatever. Like you're gonna want to, you're gonna want to take advantage of this podcast. I mean, there's no greater source. When I say the goat, I'm talking like the first goat in this industry. But this, ironically, is actually your first official podcast. So I'm grateful to be that for you. Well, see, I was around before the internet was born. <laughs> In fact, my son tells me when I tell him the story that uh, at train company where I first started in the industry, that uh, fax was the way to go. They found that utterly unbelievable that that uh, that was new technology when I started. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to read so many different articles. I was telling you on and like there I had so many different directions I could go. You have so many stories like obviously like you've been in the game for so long. There was so much stuff. And I went down a rabbit hole and I was like, okay, I got to just stop at some point. So I was up at like midnight last night, editing and making things. So poor Matt, appreciate shout out to Matt for putting it together was waiting on me to get questions over to you. But I think we got a good one here locked down. So I don't want to waste a bunch of time. Um, I just want to kind of jump right into it. So our, so our listeners kind of get an idea. And for those who've actually never heard of Jim Abrams, um, I don't know necessarily what rock you've been under, but he is, uh, he, you, again, sharpen your pencil and start to take notes because, um, there's a wealth of knowledge on the, on the show today, but I want you, Jim, if you would just go ahead and tell us the Abrams impact story, like how you got into the trades, you know, to become considered the greatest residential contract service contractor in the world. That's a heck of a title. Well, it, it was a long time ago. So it was back in <laughs> Back in the 1970s, and I was leaving Weight Watchers where my boss's son was going to be taking my job. So I researched out there and found three things that I thought the future would be, uh, something that would be energy-related, uh, cheap food, or automobile aftermarket. By default, nobody wanted to hire me in the automobile aftermarket <laughs> or cheap food, so I ended up in the energy-related business and went to work for the train company out of La Crosse, Wisconsin. I helped uh, establish what they uh, called their five saluting men. Wait, so the Comfort hey, Corps, and we had a, f a franchise and company-owned operations. Hey, Jim, was that was that 1981 you did the train? You went to train? Uh, no, 1981 was when I opened my own business. Oh, that was so, home energy service. When did you go to train? When was that? That, that was, was 76, 76, I think. 76. Yep. yep. Uh, so it. got to start at the front end, ran a telemarketing room in those days, which was marketing. Uh, for us in those days, uh, became a straight commission salesperson, 1,800 people in the commission, uh, in the uh, in the division, and I worked my way up to the number one position um, at uh, Train Consumer Products Division. I uh, left there when I was asked to acquire the GE division of heating and air conditioning, which we successfully did in 1981. So I left and started my own business, which was Home Energy Savers. <laughs> um, Picked St. Louis because it was hot in the summer and cold in the winter. So great, great demographics um, analysis and moved my family to St. Louis. Uh, started one man business, hired one technician. Uh, in those days, yellow pages were key. Uh, they, would put, they would put out the book in October, but they closed the book in March. And I didn't open my business to June. So I would not be in the yellow pages for the first 18 months. Yep. And that's why I had to default to uh, foot canvassing, actually walking up and down the streets of St. Louis, knocking on doors. Yeah, boy. And we're going to make it we're, and we're going to hit it on that story a little bit later too. But I'm, I'm, you know, so, so that was 1981 when you started home energy services. 
Correct. So then, so then take me from there through that, through the progress of that. So uh, ran home energy savers, not profitably for the first two years, which I knew would be by plan. Uh, but I started very small by 1988. So I started in 81. By 1988, I was the largest in the United States, not that big at that time, but I was doing $12 million in sales, all service and replacement um, by 1988. So it took me wow. seven years to grow a business from scratch um, to one that became the dominant player in St. Louis and then also had a business in Sarasota, Florida. Morphed that into a company that became known as Service Experts, took that public to the NASDAQ in 1996 and to the New York Stock Exchange in 1997. <laughs> so was there like a point when you, was that the plan with it all, the, all along or did you just, did you, was there? I, I had a long-term partner, John Young, in 1988. Uh, he and I, start, we'd known each other at train. John actually went to work for Ron Smith down in Fort Myers. Uh, Ron was in a lot of trouble at that time, uh, mostly all commercial and industrial. John steered him over to residential and uh, helped him recover dramatically. John decided to leave. We formed a partnership, which became Contractor Success Group. John was really a marketing guru in terms of direct mail and my my forte was operations. Right. Okay. So my plan, once we started the group, yes. Uh, in 1990, when we started the group, it was our intent to teach contractors across the United States, a similar way of doing business so that we could, um, put them together and form the first publicly traded, um, home services company. The first consolidator. Yes. In this industry. Yes. Right, 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 man. And so where was it at when you took it? Uh, what was the, um, what was the uh, IPO on that on that when you took it? Uh, we had sixty million under sales. Uh, our market value upon the completion of the IPO was about two hundred million. We grew it quickly to a billion dollars by nineteen ninety eight. Was the valuation of the company, and the company was approaching eight hundred nine hundred million dollars in sales within two years of coming public. Man, how did that feel? It felt good and bad. I had uh, <laughs> unfortunately gone through a, uh, a divorce just before doing that. So I was president of the company and I headed up all operations, but we had selected a different CEO. And my vision was branding uh, residential home services. His was more about compilation of earnings uh, and driving the stock value. And because he was CEO, we, I deferred to that. And I actually retired in 1997. My former partner, John Young and I, our stock was worth you know, approximately $100 million in, at that time. So I, I thought that was enough money. And I, I retired for a couple of years before starting Clockwork Home Services. Yeah, but that was the first time. That was the first retirement. Yeah, that was my first retirement. <laughs> You've got a habit of retiring yeah. again. And um, I love hearing I that. Younger. It got boring. Yeah, well, and that's what I wonder because, you know, um, at some point in time, like you, it's not, there's the, like you have the, the wealth or even the generational wealth that it's just part of the game or the fun of doing it in the building. I think it actually, I say, you know, I, I have this in my mind where I want to, you know, run, run as hard as I can to 50 years old. I'm 43. And then, um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll semi-retire because I don't, I don't know that I have it in me. I am an entrepreneur. I don't know that I have it in me to not do anything, but I also think it's good for your brain and just to kind of keep you young by having to kind of keep doing things and work on stuff. Like, I don't want to sit, my, my grandpa was a, a farmer, a retired farmer and, and he was active and like with golf and stuff, like all the things that you should do in retirement. He was a snowbird out here in Phoenix where I am. And, um, and then when he stopped doing all the things is when I started to see him deteriorate a little bit. And so I think kind of keeping yourself going and, you know, and sharp is, is helpful. 
Um, but then you it's kept very going. Hard, very hard to stop. Yeah, it's addicting. Like you have it. It's its own. You know what? There needs to be a uh, Entrepreneurs Anonymous. <laughs> That's what there needs to be. <laughs> Somebody's going to start that now. You watch. There may be one that exists already. It may. <laughs> well, for me, I think I've shared this many times. I had back when I was with Train, I watched a videotape uh, that Vince Lombardi did. And from there, he concluded there was only three things that mattered in life. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your family and community, and your relationship with your career. I bought into that. Yeah. So um, once you're retired, um, there's a lot you can do, obviously, to enhance your relationship with God by giving to churches, et cetera. And there's always something you can do for the community. But that measurement of one's um, career kind of just stops. And invariably, that had been the most time consuming prior to because you're going to work every day, et cetera. So I think it's it's hard. I retired the first time at 50. I came, you know, my dad was an auto worker in Detroit and I had what I thought all the money in the world at that time. And uh, I just, I was so bored. <laughs> I, I created a talking thermostat at that time. I created a new pricing system, everything that would become part of Success Group International uh, really during my retirement, uh, I, I got four patents, over 100 different trademarks during that period of time. So it was Incredible. it was still active even when I was retired. You know what's interesting about all this, too, is you're running national brands and with facts, with the facts. Like, it's just not like we have the technology today to be able to communicate. Like you, So you probably legit had to get on planes. And were you just gone, like, all the time? And that probably took a toll on the, on the relationship. SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Yeah, I think that's probably why my marriage did not succeed. Yes, I have uh, uh, cards with American with 2 million real miles on them and Delta with 2 million real miles on them. Plus the other hundreds of thousands that I aggregated with uh, no longer flying airlines, Eastern, TWA, <laughs> United, well, United's still flying, but I didn't, it wasn't a hub city for me. So I didn't get that many miles. So I spent a lot of time in the air. Yeah. Cause I mean, um, well, I appreciate you mentioning those three things. And um, I think those are obviously like really key too. And, and in, in this kind of leads me into, and it's not really not on the, on the questions we prepared for, but like this whole topic of like work life balance and is it a real thing? Is it not a real thing? Um, to me, it's a real thing. I'm grateful that, um, you know, in 15 years of, of running Rhino, um, I ran really, really hard the first eight years, like really hard before I actually realized um, I'm, I need to work smarter, not harder. And, and, and I have a family, I have four kids. So um, that to me really, and my wife is the CEO of this business. So, but we've gotten a really good balance. And to me, it is important. I mean, you have to make sure like while you're building, yes, there's sacrifices that you have to make, but you don't make all the sacrifices. You got to balance that thing out. Yeah, I was very fortunate. My three sons from my first marriage um, all moved here to Sarasota. So I'd maintain over those years because of the affluence that we gained, um, I'd say there was probably a month to six weeks off each year that I would diligently take. We would travel to different places. I would be there for their games and make sure That's that good. that was 
So I have a great relationship with not only those three children, but um, when I remarried, I got two stepdaughters that were very young at the time. And uh, one of them lives here. Both of them lived here at one time in Sarasota. Uh, one's now very high up with Apple, so she's got to be out on the West Coast. But uh, um, and, and we have a home in L.A., so we get to see our kids that are out in L.A. We have two out in L.A. And, yep, life's good. Well, and, and, then, and then, you're right about the balance. Well, and then you also in this like in this interim, too, I think it was in. Well, it published in 2008, but I'm sure it took a little bit to write it. Uh, but you also had your your book that you had published. I think it was, or this was a Contractor's Guide to Greatness. It was it published in 2018. I'm sure. Yeah, I think it was January. I think I'm pretty sure I saw that. I could be wrong though. Uh, it had to be published back during my Clockwork days. So I sold uh, Clockwork in 2010. So probably 2008, I think, would be more likely that book was published. We printed 10,000. They sold them all. I've seen resales on eBay, some on eBay and on Amazon at yeah. very high prices. I saw that. Very, very flattering. Like five grand or something like that. Yeah, somebody paid five thousand for one. What that was in the heck, man? That's crazy. You, did you? They should have sent it to you to sign it or something. Uh, well, I signed a whole bunch of books, so it was probably signed already. Okay. okay. Well, my goodness, if you're gonna spend five thousand, I'll bet you that you would probably be willing to actually personalize it for them if they sent it to you. <laughs> Holy crap. I have no clue who bought it for that. <laughs> well, and you have a, and you have a, well, first off, let me ask a question. How long was that? How long did you take to actually write that? So what happened was I actually did an audio call. So it was actually done initially over the phone and each month, I, I may, maybe in each week, I can't recall right now, but I gave a one chapter lesson audibly. We recorded that and then later went back and rewrote it. So it took a cumulative total of 30 months to do the whole program. So it was one lesson a month. Got it. So there were 30 specific chapters in there. It took 30 months. It probably took about another year to edit and rewrite the book because of the way I speak. Uh, a lot of oohs and ahs had to come out of there. That's words that are were superfluous. So uh, it, it, it took a while to edit it and then we printed it. And uh, Fortunately, everybody wanted one, yeah. so the print went really quick. Well, I mean, listen, now you're on to number two that's coming, and, and I'll, I'll get into it towards the end a little bit more, but you got another book coming out. How long has that one been in the making? Uh, that one, I actually wrote the original one. My wife and I escaped the hurricane here a few years ago and flew up to uh, Maine and just rented a cabin right on the ocean and uh, ended up writing it relatively quickly. It's been rewritten now five times. So uh, <laughs> obviously my first time through was uh, uh, learning that I'm not a great writer and uh, it's taken a while to go back and, and change that. Fortunately, one of my sons is a screenwriter. Oh, so he's been able to proofread it for me and, and redo it uh, and help me out. Good. Well, I'm excited. I, I um, you know, we've had actually a, a decent amount of, of guests on here that have written books lately and, um, or have written books in general. Um, and I've been reading, if the book is small enough, Jim, I can read it because my attention yeah. span only takes me so far. This would be about an hour and a half. And I tried to spice it up with stories from my life too. Yeah. Well, stories make everything more interesting, right? Cause you, you can retain the story more. Like if you put the lesson in the story, it's always easier to retain. I think at least for guys like me. Oh, I agree. Um, so I want to kind of get into just, you know, it, where, what you've been doing lately. Like, um, I mean, because it seems like if I, and, and please, I, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but tell me if I'm wrong, but was your, was your last live speaking event back in 2017? It was in Orlando. Yeah. Yes. So you just said, I'm done. I'm like, I'm, I'm just gonna, are you legit? Like retired, retired? 
Well, no. Because <laughs> uh, you're the chairman for, for physical, right? Physical therapy. Correct. Right. So in 2012, I started a business that's called Bazoom with the intent to invest in other businesses and then apply the knowledge that I gained. I have a 10-step approach that I've applied to every business I've been in. So not only has it worked in home services, but I own the two rest, uh, two restaurants here in Sarasota. One of those just got selected six years in a row as the best restaurant in Sarasota. Nice. So very, very proud of that. And the other one's a very, uh, it's I think listed number five on TripAdvisor. So also does extremely well uh, uh, and, uh, and, and did that. Then I also started Physical, which is a physical therapy business. I started that effectively in 2014 by buying into one center here in Sarasota. Today, we are approaching 500 centers in the United States, and we are the third largest physical therapy business in the world. Um, and I'm still chairman of the board. I did in 2018 uh, sell 51% of that company to a private equity group, New Harbor Capital out of, um, out of uh, Chicago. So I'm kind of a sit back uh, chairman <laughs> of the board. I'm not that active. They, we we uh, recruited a very effective CEO who runs the business. And uh, although we took a big chunk of cash off the table in 18, uh, we're now looking at exiting the business sometime this year or next. Hey, you know what? You really need to learn how to, to build a business. <laughs> if, if everybody follows my rules, I still work with some business owners, not all of them, um, home services. So they find me and I'll sit down and spend a day with them and do like a 10 year plan with them. And uh, it's just, it is a 10 point system that if you do it, and if you have the will to do what's necessary, um, you know, I've done a company called the Mutual Fund Store. Uh, that business last sold for $850 million, um, which was a financial advisement business. Um, and we franchised that and helped to make that very successful. So it's worked in restaurants, physical therapy, electrical, plumbing, roofing, HVAC. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a broad based program business program that works for service businesses so i think it's safe to say it's it's uh it's proven <laughs> it has been proven <laughs> it's been proven so you have your restaurant your two restaurants in sarasota um i mean is that fun is that just something that you're are you a foodie or you've just was it fun it was just another challenge what was that all about the first one i bought had gone bankrupt like four times and i loved their food so i sought out <laughs> the chef and said look at man i don't think you know how to run a business i do but I don't know how to cook. So let's do business together. The partnership didn't work out great, but the business did. Got it. And I'm, I'm no longer the owner. My son owns one of them. And then Michelle Schlingman, who worked with me for decades, owns the other. Unfortunately, um, in 2020, right at the beginning of COVID, I was diagnosed with a rather aggressive cancer and had to have a kidney removed. Oh. So I sold those businesses during that period of time. Uh, simply because I wouldn't be able to pay enough attention to them. Oh yeah. I didn't realize that that happened. Are you, uh, are you all, I mean, it's good for you. Congratulations. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that might change your perspective a little bit. Definitely changed my perspective <laughs> a, a great deal. So it was uh, an experience that, you know, I went through chemo and then yeah. had surgery. So it took a long time, but I'm cancer free for two years. Well, good now, for so. you. Congratulations. That's awesome. I mean, and, and I, I mean, talk about overcoming adversity. That's something I want, I want to get into because everybody goes through it in any business and, and you've not been like exempt from that either. Um, well, but is that, is that kind of part of the reason why you've laid low a bit too, is, uh, at least in the home services space, like is from my, at least from my perspective, it seems like around that, like when you, 
around that time was when you started kind of like maybe not being at like going out and doing lives, you know, speaking engagements anymore and doing things like that. Was that intentional or was that just like kind of a, what happened from it, that? It was, uh, how do I say it? I thought I'd probably done as much as I could do within HVAC and home services. I was still intrigued with applying, will these business methodologies work to other businesses? So before I was done, I kind of wanted to prove that. The restaurants have certainly evidenced that they will both make phenomenal amounts of money. They survived COVID making money. Which is so, while other people were folding up their businesses and running, uh, these two restaurants actually accelerated their sales and grew during that period of time. So that certainly evidenced that. And then the fact that we continued to grow um, our physical franchises uh, and company owned operations uh, phenomenally during that period of time also indicated that these this business methodology holds up to recessions and other challenges. Well, I mean, to, to get through COVID in the restaurant business is quite the challenge. I mean, right. well, that industry, wow, was impacted so much. I mean, and there's so many that didn't make that didn't make it through. I mean, so many. So again, you probably went back to those to those uh, ten those ten steps that you rely on. Just stay that's up. it. I must say the PPP program definitely helped restaurants. Well, that yeah, so those took advantage of it, used it correctly. I think we're able to sustain themselves, survive, and then be ready for great growth because they had lesser competition coming out of COVID. Yeah, good point. Well, um, and I want to talk a little bit about like this industry, you know, and well, I'm going to call post COVID. I mean, it's not really, post, but you know, what I'm talking about most. Post, I'll get to that towards the end, but I want to hit on that a little bit more. But first, we were talking about like this overcoming adversity. I didn't know about the cancer thing too, and I'm grateful that you're on the other side of that. Um, but I love, I love good overcoming adversity stories, and uh, and you might have one of the best I've heard too. And you kind of mentioned it in the beginning about when you had um, when you had started. Uh, home energy services, you missed the phone book cutoff. And that was like the way to pull in business was that phone book. And you didn't miss it. Like you just, so you had this long wait to get back to it. So uh, were you a little bit concerned there? Like what happened? I got, you got to share with the listeners how you overcome that adversity. It was like, I, that was, story was fantastic. Yeah, that was quite a challenging time for a couple of reasons. So this was, you know, I started my business in the early 80s and everybody thinks economically things are bad now, but the U.S. unemployment rate in 1981 was 14%. So a lot of people out of jobs. um, St. Louis County was number one in the U.S. with over 20% unemployment. And this was the place I moved my family to open up a business of all places. And I'm not in the phone book. So it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose everything that I've worked for my whole life. And I've made such a mistake going into business for myself. But I was there. There was nothing I could do except figure out an answer. So I literally walked up and down the um, streets of St. Louis, knocking on doors, asking if I could serve people and started to build a business. My grandfather ran a moving business during the Great Depression, and I asked him one time, I said, hey, Gramps, how the heck did you run a business when it was over 25% employment? And he said, I only focused on the 75% of the people that were working, Jim. We helped out our neighbors that needed help, but I kept my eye on the 75% of the people that were working. I used exactly that same foundation. But to get to them, it was either telemarketing or Knock on, the doors. Knock on doors. And I could not find people that really wanted to knock on doors until one day uh, I was at home. We, I tried to make it home for dinner every night before going out and running a lead in the evening. And I was sitting at dinner with my wife and three children and we're 
devout Christians. So we were praying at that time and uh, seeking answers. And all of a sudden, somebody's knocking on my door. And I look out and there's two guys in a shirt and tie and their bikes are laying in my yard. And the first guy said, sir, we're here to talk to you about God. And I'd just been praying for help. And I said, I think you are. Come on in. So I sat down and said, where can I find guys like you that will knock on doors? And of course, they were Mormons. So they told me Salt Lake City. So within a week, I'm flying into Salt Lake City, walking around Temple Square, looking for people who come back and knock on doors. One guy took mercy on me and told me I had to go to Happy Valley. And I'm going, where's that? And he said, that's where Brigham Young University is located, and you'll find what you're looking for there. So I drove to Brigham Young uh, University, which is in Provo, Utah, right? and uh, met a kid and said, oh, man, my marketing professor is going to love you. So it took me into class, and the guy let me speak to his class, and I recruited <laughs> 22 young Mormons to come oh, out and knock on doors. <laughs> and it was like a record. We sold 3,000 service agreements that summer from the Mormons knocking on doors and my business just took off. The next year I made a million dollars. So it was just, it was just unbelievable that I found the answer that way. A million dollars to the bottom. And that was in what year? 80? Uh, that was 1986. I, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that was five years into business, uh, starting a business, uh, you know, from scratch in a very difficult period of time. So yeah, it was a great deal of money back in, in, in the eighties, particularly. That's, that's, I mean, and that's thinking outside, outside the box too. And, and, and also like, I'm also a Christian and, um, and I believe those aren't coincidences. I believe those are like, that that was meant to be how that went down. Um, but it is interesting for, you know, to think outside the, the, to think outside the box and then actually do it, you know, not just like think about it. And, and you just getting up and flying straight to Salt Lake city, maybe it was desperation, but maybe you were probably convicted at that point too. Like that was the answer. And, and it panned out. I can't even picture you walking around the Temple Square just talking to people. That was different. <laughs> that was in story. Salt Lake City. So I almost <laughs> went into the temple, which you're not allowed you're to not do. You're not allowed. So. Yep. Nope. Uh, well, but, uh, so I got to know, do you remember at all what you said, What like your opening line was when you'd knock on the door? Yeah. Um, so I'd knock on a door back in St. Louis and I'd say, hi, my name. I'd step back from the door. I had a little name tag on always uh, had my booties in my back pocket from the beginning. And I stepped back from the door and I said, hi, my name is Jim Abrams. Um, I'm a local heating and air conditioning guy here. And I think I could help save you a lot of money on your uh, energy costs. If you let me take a look at your furnace and your air conditioner, I'll give you a quick free evaluation. I'll put a sticker on the side of your furnace that lists eight different things here that you should do before you ever call for service that could prevent a service call. And if this sticker is on the side of your furnace, uh, when when we come out to serve your system, you'll automatically get a 10% discount on any product or service we sell. Also, I'm going to give you my business card with my home phone number because I'm not in the yellow pages. I'm almost impossible to find. But if you call this number day or night, seven days a week, I'll answer the phone and we'll make sure that we get you taken care of. Can I come in and take a look at your furnace? This is fantastic. Did you, you just did the whole thing. I was just looking for the intro. Hey man, I, I, I did it forever. So I could give you my telemarketing pitch, I could give you my door pitch. You know, I did this for years of my life. Oh my gosh, that was awesome. Thanks for doing that. That was kind of on the fly, man. You were ready for it. <laughs> He's a professional. Well, it's just done it. <laughs> well, you know what? Like also, even though you were convicted with this, you know, flight to Salt Lake City and trying to find, you know, uh these guys to or these, you know, um guys to come and knock on doors. 
I mean, the decision could have went the other the other way. Like it might not have panned out. And I don't know what, what position that would have put you in, but I remember reading an article, <clears throat> um, and I can't remember which one it was because I've read so many of them um, on that you had that you said make a decision even if it's wrong. And oh. uh, and this is something that I when I read through it more and understood the purpose of you saying it, I would really love for you to share that because I think a lot of our listeners need to hear this from you because sometimes you just got to make a decision. And your analogy on that, well, I thought was spot on. So can you elaborate on what you meant when you said make a decision even if it's wrong? Well, I'm not sure what I said before, but today what that means to me is that you know, so so many times we get caught into this. Do I? What do I do? What do I do? You know that. In my success formula, knowledge is a critical part. And you can only gain knowledge two ways. You gain knowledge through experience or you gain knowledge through education. So we're hopefully passing on some education here today, but experience simply cannot be replaced. So when you're faced with a challenge that you don't have the knowledge of how do I overcome this, do something. You're going to learn. If it's the wrong thing, you'll learn don't do that again and you'll learn how to do it better. My new book is actually the subtitle is The Baby is on the Island. So I ran this thing with management forever that I would tell them, hey, you you were on a little spit of land on a river. And just for a few minutes, you left your three-year-old out here because nothing bad was going to happen. But suddenly the river rises and this little spit of land becomes an island. Your three-year-old's out on the island and the water is raging. If you jump in, there's a good possibility you're going to be carried down river and your child will not be saved. So you need to stop for a minute, take a look at how you're going to go after this, but you must do something or else that child is going to be stranded on that island or you're going to drown. You have to do something. So you have to make a decision. You take all the facts into play and then you make your decision and you do the very best you can. Yeah. So this, and then there was like the, uh, that's actually, I didn't, that makes so much sense because I hadn't known about the, the naming of the book being the baby is on the island. I was trying to understand and I couldn't come up with anything like that made sense to me. That makes sense. I get it. I see the analogy. <laughs> well, you had also mentioned too, something along the lines, and I know I'm going to butcher this, but that you'll, you'll pick it up that you, you, um, you, it's not if you are for sure going to make the wrong decisions. Um, but the percentages, as long as you get the percentages oh. on the upside, you know, that's the one I want you to hit on a little bit. If you remember that, yeah, it looks like Angela you got Girl. Yeah. Angela Guerrero, my very first uh, sales mentor way back when. So prior to Weight Watchers, I was a teacher and then I taught at the college level right. and ended up as the uh, uh, a vice administrator. But the guy that was in charge, Angie, uh, really helped me in life. And he said, look, Jim, if you go to the racetrack every day and bet on a horse, every horse, every day, he said, if you're right 51% of the time out of your lifetime, you're going to end up in a very good place, even though you've been wrong 49% of the time, make a decision. So he was teaching me as a young man, how critical it was to uh, act rather than just inact. You know, you can't be inactive in business. Bad things will happen to you. The world will take you down. So you have to be able to act. And many times you're going to be wrong. As long as you're right more than you're wrong, you'll be okay. Yeah, one more than you lose. Don't kick the can down the road. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So to speak. That's just like our federal government. Look at where we're at now with our debt. Everybody's just been kicking the can down the road now for decades. Right. And now, unfortunately, our country sees challenges that it's never seen before. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, man, I had a lot of those conversations this past weekend. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Um, well, you had mentioned, you know, knowledge being part of your success formula. Um, 
And I'm always curious, and and even though this sounds like a cliche question, I'm always genuinely interested in everyone's answers and the differences in the answers or the similarities in the answers. But define success by your own standards. Like what is success to Jim Abrams? Well, I go back to those three things, right? So every day I measure my relationship with God um, frequently throughout the day. So by knowing what I want that relationship to be, it helps guide my decisions each day. And then for my family, community, and friends, um, you know, that's very important to me too. Uh, I just made a note here because I think it's so important to our industry. You know, three of my friends passed away this last year that uh, really contributed uh, uh, to our to our society. Uh, Phil DeRay, who created Successware and totally changed the way business was done there. Uh, Larry Thornton, who passed right. away from COVID, just a phenomenal guy. Um, known him since he was a technician uh, at an early stage. And then uh, Rick Hutchison. Right. We helped train so many people here. All three of those guys influenced my world and were positive um, uh, during the period of time that they did that. So friends, family, and community, maintaining those relationships, giving of yourself to those people, uh, giving your money when you can for churches or community yep. or whatever it happened to be. And then lastly, my career, I measured I think my success, particularly in HVAC, most people only measured against guys in their own town. Since I came out of train, it was already a national look. So I wanted to measure myself on a much broader basis. I wanted to measure myself on a national basis and really become um, one of the preeminent players in that role. Yeah, you know what that actually makes me think of is you've heard the the um, term or the analogy that you are the median of the circle that you run in or something along those lines. Like you, yep. you, so you, what you did is you found yourself a bigger circle yes. and then measured yourself against that, you know, and just kept, so it seems like to me that was kind of what you did, which was unique at that time. It was, it was, you know, I tell people all the time, they said, how, how did you end up taking the first company public? I think I'm the only guy that planned to. You know, and, and planning is part of my success formula. So sitting down and, and taking a longer range look. So, again, when I work with individuals that own businesses, I always start with where do you want to be 10 years from now? And forget about how much money you want or how many center you want. Where do you want to live? What's your lifestyle want to be like? Because, again, being a person of deep faith, I know that Jesus gave me a choice to have free choice, even choosing him. Yep. So by having free choice, I can be whoever I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do. It has to be real to me. And when I sit down and put it down in 10 years and say, is this who I want to be 10 years from now? Is that a worthy goal? If it is, you'd be surprised how far you surpass it. Uh, you said you had, I think, Jimmy Hiller on the show. Uh, Jimmy, I remember very clearly from 2015, he attended a two-week class that I did in uh, St. Petersburg, paid $5,000. There were 20 people in the class. 19 of them went on to build huge businesses, Jimmy being one of them. Jimmy at that time was uh, not in real good shape service-wise. He was doing about three hundred, four hundred thousand 400000 a year and doing most of the rest in new construction. Right. He actually left that class with a plan to be at $50 million in sales 10 years out. He put the plan back behind his desk so he could see it every single day. And when I caught up with him, I did catch up with him. I, actually, it was 2005 when the lessons were. It was 2015 when I caught back up with him. He was at $83 million in sales. Nice. And one says, how's that possible? He planned it. <laughs> well, you know, I actually got to do a podcast with Jimmy. Um, another one of these things, too, where it's like I heard of Jimmy for so long um, and – 
it just, he, he came to, I came here cause I went to like 23 different speaking engagements the first half of this year. I can't remember which one I was at, but, um, he did a, a live podcast with me in the expo hall and I got to hear his story. Um, and it was, I learned so much about him during the, the podcast in the expo hall that I made him do it again because there was things I didn't know about him that I wanted to dig deeper into that I thought would make for a better podcast. So I made him do it a second time and it turned out, it turned out great. His story is awesome. But yeah, he, he mentioned that specifically about his plan and like in, in executing on his, on his plan. Um, you mentioned Rick, what a good dude. I got to spend some time with him at the beginning of the year. Um, he was out here with uh, guy, Dave Geiger and um, a few, like a small little group of us. I got the, um, Paul Kelly and, um, and what a good guy, like what a good dude. <clears throat> These guys were letting me have it. Like, you know, because they bust my chops too and I'll bust their chops, but I'm kind of giving them, asking them saying, Hey, it's been 15 years of doing digital for HVAC plumbing, electrical guys. Like here's everything I got. Here's everything I've done. What can I do better? Boy, was that the wrong way to approach that. <laughs> and so, uh, they, it was like a firing squad and honestly, it's all good. I love that stuff because it helps make me better. I'm willing to take the heat to, to say, okay, I see the fix and move on. But Rick literally puts, pours a glass of whiskey for me and goes, brought it over to me. He goes, here you go. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Such a good dude. Yeah, he started well, working with me when he was 18 years old as a technician. To the point, listeners, I know you hate it when I stop abruptly in these two-part series, but it had to be done. Now you're just going to have to wait impatiently until next week for episode number dos. <laughs> listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, it's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom and hit write a review and be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.